Welcome back to the Master of None podcast, where we go 365 days, bringing you a podcast every single day. Nothing is off the table. The intention of this podcast is to master the short form podcast, as well as informing, as well as entertaining. So sit back, relax, and listen, and enjoy the show. On today's episode, we do a book review, or try to do a book review, I have Phil Gassard on, who read the book, Dave Goose, who didn't even read the book, and I read half of it. This book is by Peter Zahar, and the name of it is The End of the World is the Beginning. The End of the World is Just the Beginning. Brace yourselves as we get into it and enjoy Okay, we're recording now. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining today. Um, kind of getting into the book and the information from Peter Zahan. I cannot read um, Into the World as We Know It. So, I mean, obviously, Phil, you've done a good job reading it. You've been studious. You've provided an outline. Goose is just kind of showing up and providing some insight. Um, and I kind of want to start it actually with a little video from Peter. So you guys should be able to hear it on your audio. So I'm just going to play this just so Goose can have understand who we're talking about. The other side, so there has never been a conflict in Russian history where they have backed out without first losing a half a million men. We're at about 100,000 now. We have a long way to go before the Russian military breaks. So the Russians have lost roughly 100,000? That's the best guess. How many Ukrainians have lost? Probably about a third of that. But that is a third in terms of military forces. In terms of civilians, we really don't know. Uh, So I just want to play that. Obviously, it's short. But Peter Zahan um, went on Joe Rogan and did did, did an interview. And he kind of laid out a lot of different aspects of how the world is going to end as we know it. And he wrote this crazy book. And he was really focusing on really interesting data points about birth rates, food, and things like that. And I think the thing that's interesting about him as an academic is he has a little spice to him. Like you can sit there and listen to him talk and you're not super bored because he does do some antics. And um, he provides really a unique perspective. And I'm going to go ahead and hand it off to you, Phil, because you are the 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 major of the information sure yeah uh, i got a lot of quotes from the book but beyond that i don't know you know it's just it's very interesting because it talks about everything and i think the title is the end of the world is just the beginning not the end of the world as we know it but close enough uh, <laughs> uh yeah i don't know i mean we can start anywhere i think his rogan interview was him talking much more about even like current dynamics like china and russia and then the book itself is about the American-led order. So I have the one quote, which I think is a good summary of, yeah, everything. And it's the American-led order, it's capital O, did more than change the rules of the game, it institutionalized order, uh, lowercase o, which in turn allowed industrialization and urbanization to spread everywhere. That shifted the global demographic from one of lots of children to lots of young and mature workers, generating a sustained consumption and investment boom, the likes of which humanity had no previous experience with. With security guaranteed and supplies of capital and energy and foodstuffs ample, 6,000 years of ups and downs were replaced by an unstoppable freight train of progress. 
And then the whole book is basically about how that's coming to an end. Yeah. And, and whenever you go through this book, it was, I mean, I think one of the most interesting things that he looks at is actually birth rate. So if you look at like China and Russia in the impact of birth rate and how where are the, the millennials are actually going to have a consistent birth rate, but theirs is so inconsistent, but there's not going to be a lot of people to rule in these environments. But what's really interesting and might be a point you could talk about is how the United States is, is so centrally located that if there was an economic crisis throughout the world, we would actually be better because we have the most water and food resources of both China and Russia. Yeah, you said it, but uh, let's hear from our agriculture expert, Goose. <laughs> oh, God. See, again, I did not read this book, and so I have no idea, you know, the overarching theme of it. But I know for a fact, you know, being the ag guy over here who uh, works with uh, U.S. agricultural products, that China would pretty much starve without U.S. grains and U.S. feed products because, again, China can't produce enough food to uh, sustain itself. So, I mean, that's why you talk, I mean, this book, if it's saying, what, the end of the world is just the beginning and this, like, global agricultural aspect, um, you talk a lot about, you know, this unrelenting progress and birth rates going up and, you know, war should, you know, put a stop to a lot of, you know, progress in terms of people living longer. If you look back at the Green Revolution back in the 60s and 70s, which was Norman Borlaug, who was this agricultural specialist from the United States, who pretty much saved India and Mexico from starving to death because he kind of introduced the idea of hybrid um, wheat that could sustain a growing population. And we're kind of still dealing with that even today, which is, well, now we have enough agricultural abilities and technology to feed the entire global world. But again, 6,000 years, as you said, this Wingate wrought 6,000 years <laughs> of unrelenting, um, you know, war and famine that, you know, put a stop to a lot of things now all of a sudden just got wiped away from almost the green revolution in the 60s and 70s mm -hmm. that now allowed the world to be fed at a continuous rate and that's why uh norman borlaug again was the guy who as uh, the father of the green revolution he actually won a nobel peace prize because of it but today people often are like well is this bad actually for the world because it's a lot of fertilizer usage and this and that but he always said like well i'm feeding people but I don't know. I mean, I'm looking at you, Phil, right now. Is that, you know, is feeding the world, was that like not a good thing? Is that what this book's trying yes. to say? <laughs> okay. Okay. No, we, we are totally off the script now, by the way. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, you know, we started off strong, Phil. We did someone, you know, you did. Really I've never read this book. You dude. got the title what? wrong. Zach got the title wrong. We've got sponsors now. We have a responsibility. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Is it the book about what is the book about, Phil? Tell me more then. <laughs> you know what? Don't worry about it. Just worry about brushing your teeth with Colgate. Oh, Colgate. Oh recommended God. by nine out of ten. Is that the sponsor for this episode? Who are we? Where are we? All right. All right. That was oh God. Um Oh my God. So goose. I'm gonna give you my thoughts on the book I can't get right. And hopefully Phil will chime in. So the Phil, the wait, wait, wait! But Phil said this book is the, oh, the beginning is only the, or the end is only the beginning. The end is, is only 
the end of the end is only the beginning. It's the correct name of the book, but the author. The is, end of the world is just <laughs> the beginning. Okay, boom, got it. Go, Phil. Keep going, Phil. Uh, yeah. Oh. No, no, it's all it's Zach. Zach's got it. So, whenever you look at this book, he's doing a really good job of laying out food security issues, geopolitical issues, as well as the birth rate. So what he's saying in this book is that the United, the globalization as we know it is going to transition into a new level, one where we're not having the same relationships with Russia and China as we did before. And the United States on some levels is actually going to become more powerful because of its location in the world from a geography standpoint, because we have so many resources. And he's laying out different thoughts and theories as to why. And one of them he really focuses on is the birth rate. And he always goes back to the boomers, the millennials, and how because of this birth rate, there's going to get to a point where China doesn't have anybody to really rule and neither does Russia. And he also talks about how you have these kind of situations emerging as a result of different um, different aspects of food and insecurity. And that's really what he's building his thoughts on whenever he's creating the story. So in maybe 10 or 15 years, what he also says kind of jumping into the podcast that he did with Joe Rogan is that Russia's going to end as we know it because there's no one really going to create a... There, after Putin, there's nobody left because he's kind of killed everybody. And and if we go to war or they go to war with Ukraine, what's going to happen is all these men are going to die. So as a result of it, the population is going to dilute and, and if we go to war or they go to war with Ukraine, what's going to happen is all these men are going to die. So as a result of it, the population is going to dilute and it's going to be the end of the world as we know it. And it's no longer going to be as globalist as it was. And a lot of countries are going to struggle and the United States is going to remain on top. That's kind of what I got from it, Bill. Is that kind of what you think? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He focuses a little bit less on like the current conflicts in the book because he says at the beginning in the forward, like he wrote it, you know, finished writing it and then went into publishing like two years ago and stuff has changed since then. But yeah, he definitely thinks Russia and China are screwed uh, and mainly because of demographics, like you said. Um, and I'd say the other big thing is and he makes a pretty compelling case just but to say it real simply is we have internet we have all the products we have because of international shipping so you can, everything is specialized right so there isn't like anything that we consume nowadays that isn't actually built with parts from several different countries and it's all immensely complex and if the us stops policing the world's oceans then that goes away so then he breaks it down like in the book he breaks down at, by main food items, like the biggest crops, he, he breaks it down by the actual, um, I don't know what you would say, like individual components or minerals. So he talks about iron ore. So like, where do we get our iron from? Who ships it? Once all this breaks down, who can still provide their own and who has some trading partners? So to go back to agriculture then, like the thing he points out with that is that all of the biggest food producers rely on large farm equipment, which is something. So he goes down in those details that you normally just don't think about, but once he lays it out, it makes a lot of sense. So he talks about, um, yeah, like you need these giant tractors, which are built all over the world. If, if the world order goes, then all of a sudden you don't have the tractor. So even in the places where you can still grow a lot of food, you're not growing as much as you used to. And there's tons of compounding effects, like little things that you don't normally think about that will just totally fall apart 
when world trade falls apart. But I think one of his main arguments is that the U.S. stops policing the world's oceans. And I don't know. Sometimes I think he kind of overestimates how quickly that will happen. Also, to be clear, he thinks this is going to like this is all going going to shit within the next five years. So he thinks this is happening very soon. Yeah, it's a great book. Okay, dude. You should have read it. I know I should have read it. But actually, Phil, question then for you. Does he talk about, again, in agriculture on fertilizer? Because Russia is the biggest producer of fertilizer and U.S. farmers right now are being affected by the war because they're not able to obtain cheap fertilizer, which is causing price increases. Does he talk at all about that in the book? Yeah, he talks about fertilizer. I don't remember what he says in terms of like what if it so if it all broke down, how would the U.S. provide theirs? Um, I mean, I think one of his points, I think ultimately, yeah, he probably came down to like in a pinch, the U.S. can produce it on their own. There's just a period of adaptation. Um, but yeah, he does this like just U.S. soil in general, like North America has such great farmland that even if we weren't able to use as many fertilizers as we do, at least for a while, we'd be okay. Whereas he's, again, like he says, China's just totally screwed. That like without without importing all of their fertilizer, they already import most of their food. And then without fertilizer, what food they do grow just kind of almost disappears. Yeah, and actually, even on that as well for China, is they, for a long period of time, they were very anti-technology, meaning GMO, which the U.S. is kind of the forefathers of GMO products. And now within the last five years, China has finally started like accepting GMO products and trying to do a lot of research and development into their own GMO products. And this can be anything from being able to you know, grow wheat in an arid area that you shouldn't be able to, but because it's genetically modified, you can. So China, I think, at least from agriculturally standpoint, I think they are starting to recognize that they need to become more independent in a food relation. Yeah. But, I, just, yeah. Okay. I just don't know if China will be able to do it because like what's so crazy is like they don't even I mean their wood they get for their chopsticks like comes from the North America. So yeah there's there's so much connection there. But going back to the fertilizer thing, um that's really interesting. I didn't realize that Russia was the number one producer of yeah. I mean they would be I mean in in are we talking like so farms in America just don't have the ability anymore. Is that kind of what's the situation with it? Uh, I mean, it's really they get they produce they have the processors to produce some of the like the cheapest fertilizer around and the material as well. And again, so, I mean, Phil, I, I'm going to look at you because you read the book, obviously. But as you talked about that global agricultural market, I mean, a John Deere tractor that's, you know, John Deere headquarters is in. Uh, Fargo, North Dakota, but a lot of their materials come from China and other places. It's similar to Russian fertilizer. It's just, it's how the market kind of got created, I guess you could almost say. Yeah. And I think um, where you're like, we're going to see like the transition point could happen, but there's a lot of criticism of him online, obviously. And people say that he always underestimates China because he's been predicting since 2005 that they would actually collapse. And he keeps predicting it and predicting it. And I think sometimes he has like these models, but it's just, I just, in my ultimate opinion, I don't think China and Russia is going to collapse just like that. 
And I know he provides some data and some analytics, but like when you look at these companies, it's like, or countries, I'm sorry, trying to survive for 5,000 years, that country isn't going to collapse. Like they will find a way. The same with Russia. I mean, if Putin did die, hypothetically, or which he will, that's that's the turning point of Russia. Like who's going to lead Russia if he dies and who's going to lead after Xi Jinping? Like that's kind of where, and that's on the podcast, obviously, but those are the criticisms where it's like, you just, they're not going to just hold. You know, yeah, I think uh, he he talks about though that though because just not to make this all about China, but he talks. About, so they've been around for six thousand years, but the longest any dynasty, any form of whatever you want, it's what you could generally call government, hasn't really lasted for even a century. Like China has a long history of constantly imploding and warring with each other. But yeah, I mean, I read a book I remember called "The Next One Hundred Years" when I was in college. I don't know. The CCP has managed to stay in pretty firm control, but I don't know. I guess I could still see it happening. Yeah. And I think that's kind of where it is. I do think it's, I don't know how you read all this book because it is so dense with information. Like I listened to the audio book and I kept falling asleep because I was like, well, this dude is a machine. Like The like parts the- where he goes down each, like, again, he'll go through like iron, cobalt, silicone, silicon like all this stuff yeah and then when he was going through each grain and how it'd be affected it was a little boring but i don't know he makes some very compelling arguments and plus you know i wanted to make sure we had a good script for this podcast episode the script we aren't following yeah. i'm sorry <laughs> phil but it was really wingate who said it's the end of the world as we know it he started playing the no. rem song so really it's wingate's fault okay yeah are you gonna back. play that song are you gonna play that song to to like play in the episode i think i definitely can play in that song so Uh i mean i guess kind of i'm looking at your thing now and you do have china on there but he also talks about electric cars and i kind of wanted to get your take on that you being a car guy kind of reading about is that kind of the cobalt aspect of it uh the cobalt was when he was talking about batteries which enters into electric cars too but basically he was just saying like with renewable energies we don't have the battery storage capacity and the technology is like it's one area where it's hard to see real potential for that improving dramatically anytime soon but with electric cars yeah he's definitely very skeptical of them me personally i don't mind them but i think like government mandates like the whole like by 2030 or 2035 goals are wildly realistic especially when you start looking at things like shipping and construction it's just totally not feasible with current technologies but then yeah his big argument with electric cars is people don't like uh, about half of our energy use total everything we do is liquid fuel so and he includes um natural gas in that but you know oil gasoline etc and it's, so if you're talking about going fully electric, you're basically saying you need to double the amount of electricity we produce, which would, at least right now, almost almost absolutely 100% for sure mean just like a ton more coal. So he, yeah, he's very skeptical on electric cars. And he mentions a million other reasons as well. Well, and you mentioned, Phil, about the, it's the battery capacity, right? Is that what he kind of says is the main issue? <laughs> Eh, for electric cars, no. For that, it's 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 the fuel source and the lack of infrastructure. It's just like yeah, yeah. It's it's something that's not going to be happening in the next ten to fifteen years with battery capacity. It's like with wind and solar, we don't have any way of storing that long term. So it's it's just like 
yeah then he gets into the geography of it which one thing i guess i didn't know i've never been there german germany doesn't get a lot of sun and they've been shutting down their nuclear power plants well at the same time they're going to go green they're going to go green and he's like you know you can cover that whole country in solar planners panels you're not running off solar power it's just not happening there yeah there's a there's an interesting book called project drawdown which was about how you know we can do climate solution and so and so and like their number one um resource to become more climate conscious was battery capacity they said the ability to store any sort of energy via wind power solar power and whatever else so it just made me think Bill. so thank you yeah but what's so crazy is when you look at cobalt you look at lithium you look at these kind of materials in order to get them is really really difficult i mean when we think about cobalt as we know it like there is so many like to mine it out of the ground is really really difficult and there's like these videos online of kids doing it in africa and their teeth are like falling out because it's like so intense to get it and it's like toxic and it's like in order to go green and have more battery space it's like you have to bring more cobalt out of the earth in order to do that and that's just going to generate more of an energy demand on that aspect the same with lithium batteries it's to me, it's like I get the intention, but it's like in order to get those cars to that point, it's like at the same time, it's like you're still going to be using crazy amounts of fuel and energy to get it just to have an electric car. You know, that's the crazy part about this whole like transition over, you know. Sounds like a depressing book right now. I mean, it's, it's I mean, I think it's not thing, super positive. <laughs> No, I mean, Phil, Phil, and you read it, and Zach obviously listened to it while sleeping. But is it, does it touch on like point figures, bro? You didn't even, you don't even listen to podcasts. Yeah. All right. I'm trying to come in here. But no, it's, a it's, little. it's the, it, it sounds like, right? Like the overarching theme is really that, like, the world, you know, for the entire existence of like humans has been just, you know, individualized and like a struggle. And pretty much since almost the WTO and after World War II, you know, all of a sudden we like stopped having to struggle and live, you know, individually and be a sustenance farmer. And now I sit here with my phone and my computer. And it's like, this is the end of the world. Is that what it's saying? Like we've, yep. we've reached the peak of humanity and like, there's nowhere else we can go, but down. Yeah. That about sums it up. I mean, okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Phil, you can go. No, I got nothing. That's it. Who's got it? Yeah. I mean, what he's also saying too that. <laughs> Yeah, the globalization is going to end. We're not going to be relying on other countries anymore because they're all going to collapse. And the United States is still going to remain to be able to be fine because of its ability to remain like independent because of our where we're centrally located. And we don't have to worry about famine. Yeah. We don't have to worry about war. So the real just of the book is like to be American is great, not by just by proxy, right? Like just being here is great not necessarily like, he doesn't break down any of the fundamental ideology he's just trying to say like because of our location and all the resources we have if this did happen because the united states does have so much more space that you could potentially triple the population of the united states and people would still have enough space that's kind of what he's also articulated gotcha so yeah, other countries very, are prisoners of geography okay okay yeah and um, I mean, I think if you, I mean, I think 
the podcast of Vice. I really do think this is a grad school book. I mean, he goes all over the country. He goes to Langley, gives speeches at the CIA. He goes to tech startups. And I think he provides interesting insight. I do think he, he ups and I think he provides interesting insight. I do think he, he does more showmanship for academic information, which would be really dull. And I think when you read the book, he does have good takes on things. He like makes South Park references. He's really like embedding different cultural aspects of it. And I think that's probably what makes him so talented. Like his analysis is really good, but his ability to like put anecdotes in there seems to be really impressive. That's kind of my takeaway from the the time I was listening as I was falling asleep. And it sounds like he wasn't yeah. doing what I said, which was he wants the world to starve. That was my initial discussion. And I take that back. Phil. No, I'm, but he, he does. He does. <laughs> He does think a lot of people could. I mean, he, he was saying, like, I forget what, how many, but hundreds of millions, at least. He, he, he's not optimistic about that. But, yeah, the one thing I would say, maybe to close, is that I would, like, he's very well informed. It's really impressive that he ha- he seems to have a pretty in-depth knowledge on a ton of different topics. But it's kind of... It, Zach, you said he's kind of a showman. And yeah, I don't know if this is him being the showman or what, but like he never expresses any doubt in his predictions, really. Like it's like he he feels he 100% knows how this stuff is going to play out. Yeah, sometimes it's just like, dude, I don't know. You make a compelling case, but especially the idea, maybe people always felt this, people felt this way about war breaking out right before World War One, But like the idea that the entire world economic order is pretty much going to disappear within the next five years i don't know i have a hard time seeing that yeah i think at the end of the day he has some good theories but he has to sell books you know and he has to sell and create content and i think for him he has to be sure you know he's not you know for him it's like it's it's his livelihood it's kind of how he makes his money so i think there's there's aspects of that sprinkled in the information but i think if anyone's really trying to get a good feel for geopolitical issues i think he breaks it down in a way that, you know, if you wanted to build a framework off of, you could build it off his information. I really do believe that. Yeah, it's informative. Did you message him on LinkedIn, Seth? Did he try and get in touch? <laughs> Not this time. Maybe next time I will. Uh, after he did, after uh, he did Joe Rogan, he blew up and, you know, he doesn't, he's not going to respond to anything, you know. Yeah, he forgot his roots. Oh, well, I was kind of hoping you'd have him on as a special guest. I don't think he will because Wingate said the name of the book is End of the World as We Know It. So he might take offense to that. Mm-hmm. Hey, I still yeah. I still paid for the book. So technically I did put I contributed towards his pocket. So that even if I get the title wrong, you gotta keep that in mind. Okay, we'll tell him that on LinkedIn. I will. I will. All righty. Well, I think that kind of sums it up. Um, I think we did a great job. <laughs> Great job, everyone. Great job. Truly, this this podcast is going to get a good million views. People are going. This is going viral. It's going viral for sure. Um, round robin. Is there anything you guys you want to close on? Starting with you, David. Yeah, Phil, go to bed, dude. It's too late for you. Okay. Yeah, and I would just like to thank our sponsors at McDonald's. McDonald's. <laughs> Uh, what's their what's their motto now, Zach? I think their I I still think their motto is like I don't think they have one. I think they're just doing like two for one deals. Like 
I haven't seen like strong <laughs> marketing. Have a, McDonald's has really gone downhill. They don't even have a motto, but gotta, <laughs> that's when I'm you know wrong. the end of the world is just the beginning when McDonald's doesn't have even oh, a motto. Man, McDonald's would still make cheeseburgers in the end of the world. <laughs> Yeah, you just don't want it. it's just gonna be soylent green. Yeah. You know? Soylent green is people from McDonald's. Um Yeah, I think too it's like but you know what's crazy is Chick-fil-A, dude. Like I, it's like you go to Chick-fil-A and I still can't believe how the line is always so long and it just blows away any other fast food chain. That will live through the end of the world, I'm sure. They'll be efficient. Chick-fil-A lines. Sorry, Wingate. I had to be on mute there. I was laughing too hard at now the discussion talking about Chick-fil-A lines. So Sorry. I'm done. I'm <laughs> done. I'm done. <laughs> no, Ted. That's no, it. I don't think that was in the script either. All right. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Um, we are a sponsored right. podcast now, so we're only gonna go up from here. You know, maybe there's 10 cents right now in the podcast fund. We're gonna build that from there, guys. So just thank you for all your time and effort in this podcast. Thanks, Zach. It's fun as always. Thanks, Wingate. <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you later.